Every time I read this gospel passage, I think, poor, poor St. Peter. The artist Andy Warhol once said that everybody is famous for about 15 minutes. That's not entirely true in our gospel today, however. It seems that St. Peter was only famous for about 15 seconds before he becomes infamous. And it just happens over six verses in St. Matthew's Gospel. Last week, only six verses earlier in Matthew's Gospel, St. Peter correctly answered the million-dollar question. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus continued, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I mean, can you imagine how blessed St. Peter thought, felt at that moment? It would be, in fact, pretty hard to remain humble as Jesus points to St. Peter as the rock and the foundation of the church. If the disciples were in earshot, and evidence suggests that they were, it would have definitely put an end to any speculation about who was the leader, the chosen one of the disciples, and thus the leader of the church. It was St. Peter. Yes, Peter was famous as Jesus ordains him to this special ministry. But just six verses later, Jesus uses the strongest words ever attributed to him when we hear him say to St. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as man does. Wow. Ouch. Why did Jesus say this? Jesus just told his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly and be killed. And the natural human response, at least to me, was from St. Peter. God forbid, Lord. No such thing will ever happen to you. In fairness to St. Peter, that sounds like a reasonable response to me when your friend tells you such news. Your friend, your leader, your mentor, your teacher, indeed the Messiah, that you must suffer greatly and be killed and respond in shock and insist that it not be so. But again, Jesus said that he was thinking as a human being and not as God does. For supernaturally speaking, Jesus' mission to suffer and die for us was an essential mission for the salvation of the whole world. Of course, in our weakness, we're all guilty of doing as human beings do. It's pretty hard to think like God as, well, we're not God. But the grace of God sometimes We get glimpses of God's will for us. Sometimes God gives us insights. When we make a discovery about something that puzzled us in our faith that becomes clear to us, and we have what some people call as an aha moment. For example, several years ago, I I had one of those moments when I was on pilgrimage in the Holy Land with some of our parishioners. There are many gates in the city of Jerusalem. One of them, in ancient times, was called the Eye of the Needle. The gate was built into another larger gate that would be closed with all the other gates of the city at night. But that little door inside that bigger door was called the Eye of the Needle. 
And the eye of the needle is mentioned in St. Matthew's Gospel and one of the several gates that provided passage to the city of Jerusalem's massive walls. But the needle gate was used by people when the city's main gates were closed at night. It was the after-hours door, if you want. And it was designed for security reasons so that while the city's inhabitants slept, enemies couldn't ride into the city on their camels and attack. The gate was so small that a man would have to unload his camel of all that he was carrying, and then he'd have to get off as well, and then carrying or, and carefully lead his camel through that small gate, the eye of the needle. So with supplies and a human passenger, it would be nearly impossible for the camel to get through that gate. And as I sat in the holy city pondering that quote in Matthew's gospel, I had one of those aha moments that in my life I had to divest myself of things and sins and fear so that I could make my way through the gate one day into the eternity of God. When a follower of Jesus really thinks about it, often it is the case that we can be confused by the cross. There have been so many times that I've longed for an aha moment about the cross so that I could fully understand it and not be like St. Peter in his worst moment in the gospel today. I mean, how does that work? Why the cross? Why the violence? How does suffering lead to redemption? How could the Father allow his Son to be crucified to satisfy the debt of our sinfulness? Why this way? How is all humanity redeemed by this one horrific action of humankind? Ultimately, it is a mystery to us, and we shouldn't be afraid to call it a mystery. For who knows the mind of God? Who dares to give him counsel, as we heard last weekend? We cannot think like God as Jesus referenced today, and that's okay. But what about the command to carry our own crosses and follow Jesus? How do we do that if we do not fully understand the mystery of the cross and how it all works? What does this command really mean to us as faithful followers of the Lord? It means sometimes that doing the will of the Father is hard. It involves suffering, and it involves being deprived of things that others enjoy, licentiousness as we call it. It means that doing the right thing and loving our neighbor can be downright difficult, even frustrating. It means that sometimes loving demands sacrifice, and so many of us here already carry crosses, as one theologian said, look, we don't have to go look for crosses. They find us in our everyday life. Sometimes when we see others' crosses, we can be humbled and in awe, and it helps us grow in our own faith. For example, I have a cousin with a daughter with profound defe uh, deficits and birth defects. Recently, she texted me saying, I am so lucky. I know my cross that God has asked me to carry, and all I have to do is do it. I am in awe and humbled by her faith. As a priest, I am in awe of how often parents have denied themselves and have done the will of God by raising a family and 
all the personal sacrifices that go with that. I've seen many parents go without so that their kids could have advantages and opportunities that they did not have. I've seen others endure the hardships of supporting a family member or friend in his or her struggle with addiction or depression, struggling through the cycle of victories and defeats, ups and downs because of the command of Jesus to love. You're dealing with that addiction yourself and digging in and trying to walk the straight line and carrying that cross yourself. I've seen determined people, even teenagers, live a life of virtue and chastity when it seems that no one else is, and they pay a price for that countercultural witness, sacrificing popularity for the sake of their faith. Like my cousin, I've seen many people embrace the cross by carrying physically or mentally challenged children or an infirmed elderly parent because it is simply the right thing to do for which a Christian is called, and it is a cross. I've known people who have lost spouses or children that have suffered greatly in their grief, yet somehow they find the strength to carry on, continuing to be a faithful and giving servant of God when you feel that everything in life has been taken from you. So how will our stories end? Where will carrying the cross lead us? Maybe through more suffering, maybe to death, but because of our faith, we know how the story of the cross ends, that Jesus is victorious. Suffering is conquered by joy. Death is conquered by life. Darkness is conquered by light. And most especially today, crucifixion is conquered by resurrection. That is our hope as we celebrate Mass today.